Hello, everyone. It's Lee Henson, president and founder of Agile Dad, welcoming you to today's edition of the Daily Stand-Up. And without any further ado, let's get started. Today, I want to take a few minutes to discuss with you nine powerful ways to keep your teams motivated and energized. What I found is oftentimes when we go into organizations, especially with this whole COVID madness happening, we're finding that people just don't have that same vigor, that same fire underneath them. You know, we want to find a way to light a fire underneath individuals and help them feel like their contributions are valuable and help them see that uh, the things that they're working on are actually going to be, you know, a big deal in the bigger picture. And I think that individuals just kind of missing the scope of what they should be doing at this point. So we're going to talk about nine key principles, but I'm going to try to keep it in about 10 minutes or so. So hopefully we can do this and uh, it's going to be a challenge, but we'll see what we can do. The first principle talks about paying people what they're worth. Now, this is a touchy subject because anytime you're talking about paying people and uh, salaries, you want to make sure that you're taking into consideration that sometimes it's outside of your pay grade and that paying people what they're worth may not be a decision that you can make. However, there are tools and techniques that you can use to make sure that people feel appreciated and valued. Um, one of the things that we see is when organizations take time to do a salary survey and see how their salaries compare to others. And then, you know, as long as they're close, they can come back with other additional incentives like giving people a week of time each quarter to work on personal development or projects or attend training sessions or do things along those lines. It just gives people, you know, exciting opportunities to feel like they have opportunities to grow and learn. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that they're taking a hit to their salary that's so devastating. Another thing we've noticed is that a lot of organizations are doing away with the annual increase. They're allotting for inflation, perhaps, if that, but more teams are being rewarded for becoming high-performing. So I think the shift here is that we need to start paying attention to teams and to their ability to work and their level of work and see if they are actually you know, working together as a high-functioning, high-performing team. And we need to make certain that we're carving out reward systems that that, uh, you know, congratulate people for achieving that effort while not uh, while not discouraging them from making mistakes or discouraging them from failure, because it's important that we fail as well. In fact, failure breeds innovation, and it's something we're going to talk about a little later. The second principle is providing them with a pleasant place to work. Uh, we've all seen the movie Office Space. Yeah, I think we have to ask you to work in a basement or in a storage closet, right? Uh, we, nobody wants to feel like they're working in an inferior place. People, you know, one of the most common things that people get asked when they meet new people is, so tell me, what do you do? Where do you work? You know, people want to be proud and excited, and they love to talk about what they do and where they work. I think it's a source of energy that we have to take pride in those things, just like we take pride in our family. So I think giving people an opportunity to really feel good about where they work, whether it's providing them a place to exercise or providing them a walking trail or providing them with a room to relax in at some point, like a little meditation room of some kind. There's several little things you can do that are very inexpensive that helps people feel like they love the place that they work. Small amenities. Uh, look for those opportunities to provide those, and you'll find that when you provide those things, happy people make for a happy product or service. Next, you have offer opportunities for self-development and growth. You know, education is so incredibly important it's just, it's critical to give people opportunities to attend training sessions, to read books, to figure out ways that they can add additional value, to work on 
items that aren't necessarily just allocated to a sprint, but to give them time to work on innovation and on things that are fun, things that will help them feel motivated and excited about what they're doing at work. Uh, I think when you give people these opportunities for self-development and growth, that's when they're going to meld together better as a team and they're going to start working together better. And they'll naturally, as a side, uh, as a byproduct, have increased collaboration and communication. And that's the next one. We should foster communication and collaboration within the team and between teams and within the organization. I think it's just when you create an environment where psychological safety rules and people are practicing radical candor, it's easy for them to feel like, hey, you know, I can talk with other people and I can collaborate and our ideas do matter and, you know, people are listening to us. And I think the most valuable thing that we can do is to help people feel like they're being listened to, to help people feel like their needs are being addressed or that someone understands or that someone can empathize with them. People want to know that someone has, someone has walked a mile in their shoes and that they are not being dealt with or handled or uh, being micromanaged by someone who you know hasn't walked a mile in their shoes and doesn't understand what makes them happy. So part of this is to make sure, just to review, once we know we're paying them what they're worth and we're taking good care of them and we're, provi we're, for, we're providing them with a really nice place to work and offering opportunities for self-growth and self-development, it's important for us to foster that communication and collaboration, but even more important is to encourage happiness at the individual level, at the team level. You know, it's it's not against the rules to pull somebody aside and say, so tell me, what is it about this job that you love the most? What is it about your work that you feel the most proud of? What is it that you, what is it that drives you every single morning when you wake up to get out of bed and get excited about coming to work today? And I think that when you ask those questions, some of the answers might surprise you. Some people aren't just there to get the paycheck. I mean, many people have clear visions and strategies that they're executing against, and they understand that happiness comes from within, and that if they're genuinely not happy about what they do, you know, I often tell people, find something that you love doing. If you don't love what you're doing now, there's so many opportunities out there. You know, don't be afraid to say, you know what, this was a great stepping stone to my next thing, but my next thing is going to be something that I love even more. And I think with confidence that if we get into a position where we feel like we can do that without retribution or without hurting anyone's feelings, you know, as long as it's not causing any kind of monetary or physical harm to anyone, I think it's completely good for you to seek happiness in your life. Next, I have one. It's one of my favorites. It's called Don't Punish Failure. You know, <laughs> One of one of the CEOs that I worked very closely with, I remember her distinctly saying, failure breeds innovation. And if someone takes away your ability to fail, they're taking away your ability to innovate. And I couldn't agree more. I think that it's so important for us to understand that failure is an option. It's an option to help us discover what not to do so that we don't make those same mistakes again in the future. It's an opportunity for the teams to learn and grow. It's an opportunity for us to re-engage with our target consumer and get clarification and figure out exactly what we should be doing so that we can use and leverage that failure to propel us better into the future so we can eventually get to the point where we're building products and services that encourage happiness for the end consumers, right? That help them see the light at the end of the tunnel. Next, I have set clear goals. Uh, you know, I often tell people, if you can't answer this question, you need to figure out how to answer this question today. The question I ask people is, you know, so tell me, what do you do? And then they tell me, I go, uh, so, you know, what is your role in that? What, what is your specific role in building that? And then I ask the big question, why? 
And what I would hope they would say is for our target customer who's struggling with this terrible problem, our product or service is this type of product or service that provides this compelling benefit or you know, compelling reason to buy it or this strategic benefit. Unlike our competitor's product or service, our product or service does this different or better. And what I found is if you can answer those questions, who, what, where, when, and why, it allows the team to set clear goals and expectations. It allows us to see what's going on and say, yes, that's the direction we want to move in. And it encourages us to understand that with a clear vision and a clear strategy, everyone can be moving in the same direction and really have some open, crisp communication. So once again, I hope you see how these are all tying together. It's really, really interesting. Only two to go. Coming in at number eight is avoid micromanagement. There's nothing worse than feeling like you have someone hovering over your shoulder, watching your every move, you know, taking copious notes about everything that happens, asking for reports at the end of every daily stand-up or retrospective. You want to get to the point where you're not asking for these things, and organizations can flow very well without them. Most organizations have teams that are smart, that can make good choices, that follow up on things that they need to follow up on, and that generally make commitments that they can accomplish. I think it's just critical that we avoid the higher level micromanage, you will do this, you will do that. Not because um, you know it, it doesn't help get things done per se, but because it, it hurts people's feelings. It makes people feel like they can't be trusted. And one of our goals as a solutions leader, uh, whether we're a scrum master or a product owner, is to provide that level of trust and that level of encouragement to the team that they feel like they can tackle anything. They feel like they can just dive right in. And I think that's just something that we often overlook. So we want to avoid micromanagement and empower teams. Uh, Ken goes as far as to say, Ken Schwaber goes as far as to say, teams should be self-organized, self-governing, self-disciplined. And I think this is what he was referring to, that team members need to build an ecosystem, an environment of culture where they feel like you know they can be trusted and that they can open up and speak vocally and that... Uh, that they won't be micromanaged or, you know, stomped on for expressing their opinions. And I think the final one, number nine, is probably my favorite in the entire list. It's avoiding or eliminating useless meetings. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where the whole purpose of the meeting was to discuss what we're going to talk about in another meeting. It just drives me crazy. I'm like, why? Why would someone want to do that? Uh, but the truth is, sometimes they don't have a choice. Uh, many organizations make meetings mandatory or they don't know who the right participants are, so they just invite everybody. And it just creates this long, scary, awful meeting that no one wants to be in. And the whole topic of the meeting is to discuss what we're going to have to figure out as a topic for our next meeting. It, it just it doesn't make sense. So one of the things that we've done is uh, we've joined forces with lots of different organizations to put together something called a meeting, an Agile Dad meeting playbook. And this is a document that's still in the works right now. It's going to be released real soon. But it goes through and describes step by step, you know, who should be in meetings, who's mandatory, who's optional, what expected inputs and outputs are, duration in a meeting, how frequently you should be, how frequently you should be having it. It gives you all the basic rules and guidance with regard to meetings to prevent you from having these long-winded, useless meetings that, you know, end up with no outcome. So I hope that kind of hammers it out for you because there's so much there. But I just want to make sure that you understand the whole premise of keeping your teams motivated is to help them feel energized and to help them see that you care. And if you do these things or if you execute against these principles, you're going to show your team not only that you care, but that you're a leader that wants them to be successful. 
So on behalf of all of us at Agile Dad, we hope that you've taken away something from this message today. As always, please feel free to look on the YouTube channel. And uh, we have a webinar associated with this that was broadcast on YouTube Live. We'd love to have you check out one of the three webinars if you have time. Uh, we also have, of course, lots of downloadable references and things that you can grab from the Agile Dab website. I am Lee Henson, and as always, stay well, stay healthy, and stay agile. Until next time, take care.